It is Thursday, January 5th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. We inch closer to the conclusion of the NFL regular season. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist list is out. Here comes the biggest truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Pro Football Hall of Fame narrows their list to 15 players. The Boston Red Sox lock up Rafael Devers. And some major line moves in the NFL Week 18. What is the Vegas lead, Scott? Let's start with Week 18 of the NFL season because it's a challenging week, AJ, with line movements, uncertainty about uh, who's playing, who's not playing what's the incentives for players what's the incentives for teams to help us break it down we welcome in the only two-time winner of the super contest mr steve fezzik fez good morning thank you very much for joining us as always and we're eating leftover pizza for breakfast and there's nothing better than cold pizza for breakfast and and i i will eat it here's here's the key room temp when you have pizza at night don't put it in the fridge I leave it out on the counter. That's disgusting. And then I get my room temp pizza in the morning. I would much rather have cold. Nah. You know what else I like? It's cold just because it's not heat, It's not hot anymore. You know what I like for breakfast? Cold fried chicken. You know what I used to make at the pizzeria? You would like this, Fez. Pizza. Breakfast pizza. Gross. Breakfast pizza. You know What's the on great, this? The great thing about... Bacon, egg, cheese, and the great- potatoes... No sauce. The great thing about food poisoning is that when you recover from it, you you feel so much better, <laughs> <laughs> and you lose you lose a couple of pounds. I mean, substantial. I'm, trying to, pull, I'm yes. trying to pull a fezzik here and lose weight, and my way of doing how is that it, going? By the way, my way of doing it is so it goes, you know, in one end, not the other. Uh, so let's talk about this week 18 of the NFL season. What's the challenges and maybe the benefits? Obviously, because we're going to talk about the benefits, but the challenges first of betting these games in week 18. Power ratings, completely irrelevant. All right, they're starting points. They're not completely irrelevant. But for many teams, it's all about motivation. And it's about, you know, how many, how long are you guys going to play? Are they going to play? How hard are they going to play? That trumps, motivation trumps how uh, strong the teams are. And it's hard to decipher what these teams are going to do early in the week and also whether or not to believe what the coaches say right now. Correct? Exactly right. Because they, it's coach speak. So are the giants going to be playing their starters? They've got nothing to play for. Is Tampa going to be playing their starters? Nothing to play for. Very difficult to just listen to one press conference early in the week and draw a definitive conclusion. It almost feels like this is sort of equal to, or at least similar to bowl season. Like there's, oh, there's player opt outs. Yeah, yeah. Like there's some or, and preseason. Yeah. There, I mean, there's some teams who, have a reason, like you can tell they're motivated, they're excited to be in a bowl game. Tulane's excited to be in the Cotton Bowl playing against USC. USC's not excited to be in the mm. Cotton Bowl playing against Tulane. And that's why Tulane, it was clear that they're going to win the game throughout. Obviously. There was never, yeah, never in doubt. Never a doubt. Four minutes didn't matter. Uh, but when you see these spreads, Eagles, 14-point favorites over the Giants. The Falcons, four-point favorites over Tampa Bay. Isn't the market telling us what these teams are going to do with these players? Um, sometimes. Or they're 
they're but the market assuming, cha- the yeah. market changes, and so it's all information driven. I, I might great, add. A, I was going to say a great example is yesterday the the Broncos and the Chargers. Chargers were laying three, and sharp money came in on the Chargers. How'd that work out? Well, now the Chargers are the underdog by two and a half points. I want to emphasize some of the, the the square balls will tell you. Well, that's why you got to avoid Week 18 and preseason football. It's too hard. It's too dangerous, and you you really need to go ahead and focus on the weeks where both teams have you know are, are, are max motivated. Nothing could be further from the truth. You want to play a week where one team might want the game like blood, and the other team doesn't care. Those are really good betting situations. So when you have teams that have something to play for against teams that don't, or in the case of maybe the Bears and the Texans, teams that are trying, not trying to lose, but don't want to win the game as much as their opponents want to win the game. You know, that's a great point. In fact, I'm going to give that out as a side. So Indianapolis minus two and a half, I think is a fine wager to make because I'm high on Ellinger and the Indianapolis Colts. Of course not. They stink. Um, because they're better than Houston? No. I've got them being comparable teams. Because there'll be a big home field advantage? No. No one's going to attend the game. But because Houston is in a must-lose situation, they've spent, they focused the entire year on being the worst team in the NFL. And then they actually started getting better. Don't be deceived by the fact they played four good games in a row where they closed losses. Their true colors have to come out now because they actually screwed up and won a game. <laughs> and all margin for error is gone. And they are clinging to a half point lead against the Bears, so they need to lose this game, which means laying it with two and a half looks good to me with Indy. Yeah, they have to lose, the Texans do, and I think the Colts also want to play hard for Jeff Saturday. I think this is also, they're at home and maybe it's the last chance to send your fans off with some positive news after what was a tumultuous bad you know season for the Indianapolis Colts, so I do like that play so a Scott, lot. Scott, just to summarize, when one team wants to win mm-hmm. and one team wants to lose, yeah, we the game on, is lined virtually a pick. Who should we bet on? The team that wants to win. I like that. Yeah. What about the, the, the Bills and the Bengals? How are you handling Bills laying a touchdown against the Patriots, Bengals laying a touchdown against the Ravens? Until I know what the playoff format's going to be going forward with the NFL, I'm going to stay away because it just it, there, there's too many moving parts, and I don't know if they're just going to cancel that game or whether they're going to reschedule it for Week 19 and move the AFC playoffs back a week. Because mo- motivation changes for Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Buffalo, and Kansas City for that matter, if they decide they're going to play that game again. Exactly right. One thing that doesn't change is the fact that I do believe that Baltimore is going to play Huntley at quarterback, which means that the game will go under like every Baltimore game does mm-hmm. with him, with the Baltimore defense playing very well and an offense that is anemic under 41 and a half sure looks good to me in that game, regardless of how the other circumstances pan out. Would you take a look here in week 18 at some correlated parlays? Like what I mean is, you know, about playoff situations where if the Bills beat the Patriots, then a Dolphins win, they're in the playoffs. Uh, if the Bills and Dolphins, excuse me, if the, the Patriots and the Dolphins both lose, the Steelers win and get into the playoffs. Uh, in the uh, the NFC, we know that a Seahawks win eliminates the Lions, but a Seahawks loss, the Lions and Packers are playing for a playoff spot. And pack. probably it'll impact the Detroit motivation to the tune of maybe a point. They're still going to play hard yeah. against Green Bay. They just won't play, like, as they say, and this is spinal tap, it won't go up to 11. Yeah, but could it you, only goes to 10. But could you play a Seattle-Green Bay parlay? You could. Knowing but, that if Seattle wins, the Lions less motivated, Green Bay wins. But you could, but your edge is 
minimal because the impact of it's only going to be about a point. I don't want minimal edges. I want big edges. I'll give you the big edge. Put the Bengals on the money line. No edge there. The first leg of a two-team parlay. Okay. And we'll parlay that to Denver. Minus yeah, currently two and a half. So because, what's gonna, because if the Ravens. If the Bengals win. The Bengals win. Then the Ravens have to lose. And, and that they, means that the Chargers are locked into the five seed. And they will sit. Everyone of importance, they'll gotcha. probably um, Herbert will be on the sideline, and Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, maybe yep. Eckler. There you go. And all of a sudden, the Chargers will be the worst team in the NFL, and Denver won't be minus two and a half. They'll be minus six and a half, and you've got them locked in that second leg of your parlay minus two and a half. So you parlay since he has to be money line. Mm-hmm. All right, since he to win. Now on the Denver side, perfectly fine to lay two and a half with Denver, though. You can play Denver money line minus one forty. Also, that's fine as well. So Cincy Denver correlated. Cincy play. money line to anything Denver. Yes, yes. I like that a lot actually. Um, any uh, what other aspect of Week 18? I, I listen to me. The player props, the contract incentives. It's a huge thing. It has also Fez become overly mainstream the past year or so. Word has gone out. Word has gotten that when out. guys are about to get bonuses, dudes are about to make some more money. If the quarterback has a heart, he's going to look to get it to his man, and the organization is going to encourage it as well. As it, it's as simplistic. If I could bet, like first play, you know who's who are they going to throw to? It's like it's so often when a tight end needs two and a half catches, mm-hmm. he catches the very first two balls to start the game, right? Yeah. So. Is do you have to get on these quick? Do you expect like the lines to move? Like how much do these books adjust with the the knowledge that's out there of, of these player incentives? Zero, because the books are too busy like trying not to get their brains beat in on college basketball with 130 games on a Saturday. So the books and, and this is a myth: the odds makers and Vegas know more than the betters. Nothing could be further from the truth. The best evidence I can give is like all the sharp bettors get kicked out of half the books. So if the bookmakers knew more than the betters, there'd be no reason to, to boot them out. <laughs> but the limits are low, and the books say, oh, the betters will straighten it out, and if they beat me for too much, I'll just bar them and not let them play. And the limits are really low. So the challenge is not – people be frustrated by this, but it really is true. The challenge is not to win betting sports. Everybody wins betting sports. If you're a sharp fifth grader and all you did was bet one team's um, – uh, props on players, you would be like, you'd be following one team, say Jacksonville, and you'd be like looking at the incentives. And there's two Jaguars actually that have incentives, right? Scott, this yes, week? absolutely. Wide receivers, wide receivers. So you would be, you would bet Zay Jones to go over, mm-hmm. right? And you bet Christian Kirk to go over in various ways. But the problem is, is that, okay, now you have to be, have been focused on just that one team, the Jaguars land on that. And you got to beat everyone else to the punch because everyone else is going to see the same thing. And you're going to wake up, and all of a sudden, those numbers, instead of being at minus 120, are going to be like minus 180, and the value will be gone. Okay. So you don't, but you don't think like the book moves it, you know, a bunch of yardage to come to compete with the number that the player needs. No, the book just puts up their season long average, just, and, and, and they're just yeah. asleep at the wheel, smoke. What, what is the fast times at Ridgemont High, Mr. Hand? Is everyone on dope? <laughs> and the, the point is, what does it matter? You're taking a $300 bet, and you know what? When, when, a guy that's flagged as an A player suddenly bets it, and and the book says, you know, I don't have to do, I don't have to like pay a guy twenty five dollars an hour to price all this stuff. I'll just let this guy bet it for two hundred, and boom, as soon as he bets it, I'll move it forty cents on one bet. Hmm. Now, as far as like we talk about this Jaguars thing goes, I think it's a challenge because 
the game is meaningful. It's a, it's the, it's a division championship. It's a playoff game. game. Exactly. That's a, this is a great point. So winning has to be the focus and of the course. emphasis. You don't like that. You with these contract incentives, you want it to be the biggest throwaway game of all time. You want a Charger game after the Chargers are locked into the number five seed, and yes. now all of a sudden they can focus on who they get the ball to. Yes. So. Do we still think that you like the edge in the game, or are you less likely to play the player prop player prop because of the fact that it's it's a playoff game? I'm less likely to bet it okay. substantially. I may still play it, but mm-hmm. it's no longer going to be like my favorite play of all time. Yes. Okay. See, I think there might be other ways to handle it, that, and I don't know. I was thinking about, like, instead of going with a yardage prop, you go with a longest reception prop. Because maybe they're maybe the volume's not there, but they do take a deep shot to see if they can get the guy the the, the yardage that he needs. It, ma- it makes a lot of sense. I think it's all correlated, so yeah. it, it would be very I mean, think about rare. It. Think, think about it. If 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 we're saying that you know, let's say Zay Jones needs uh, fifty yards, sixty yards, whatever, and it's a third and eighteen, they're in the hole, and Trevor Lawrence says, okay. you know, hey, listen, just let's run that fly route. I'll throw it to you. If it gets intercepted, it's a punt anyway. And if it's incomplete, we're punting anyway. Coach called a handoff here as a give-up play. I'm going to audible at the line of scrimmage. We're taking a deep shot. Or or th- it's third and 35, and you run an 18-yard pass play yeah. to do to get or, him his eight, or, to get get us on the way. Or it's the final play of the first half, and it's a Hail yes. Mary situation. And, 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 you know, hey, instead of us uh, taking a knee and going to the end of the half, we're going to line up like it's a Hail Mary. We're going to throw it to you and let you run. Very good. You know, you know I'm, like I'm, I might add, and I still see this prevalent, this whole running a draw on second and 10, excuse me, or third and 10, there's still teams that call that and like, like in, in your, oh, get, get, make, make your kicker have a, a little better chance to make it. He's an NFL kicker. He's going to make it whether it's 40 mm-hmm. or 44 yards. Just run your regular offense. Yeah. And, yeah. and think about it. If, if, if you bet on the other team, what's the last thing you want to see? You're horrified when he chucks up some 20 yard pass into double coverage because you can just, you see the ref reaching for the yellow canary and you're just like on the edge of your seat. Please don't call that. That's a day. good point. Uh, I want to ask you about a certain milestone that could happen on Saturday and whether or not you think it's worth betting the over on Patrick Mahomes passing yards. It's at 320 yards is the passing prop for Patrick Mahomes. Let me just double-check that, make sure we got it right. Passing props over under 319.5. So I was right, 320. Mahomes needs 430 yards to break the all-time single-season passing record held by Peyton Manning. Do you think Andy Reid lets him? Go for it. Why not? Andy Reid seems like a player kind of guy, right? That um, if, if let's put it this way, if he's within range of it, I would not be surprised. So, if you're, so if you're saying so, they're playing the game. He's got you know they don't try, but it's the start of the fourth quarter, and he's got. 295 yards. All of a sudden, Pacheco may not well, not get his seven carries he normally would in the now fourth quarter. Now they're just going to air it out in the fourth quarter and let's see if he can get 130 more yards or whatever and, and get the record. Exactly. 
Yeah, I think it would be cool for him to get it. Uh, Peyton Manning, 5,477 yards, a single-season record. I think it would be really cool, and it would solidify an MVP for Mahomes, who's already going to I also it. hate that these records now are the records when oh, there's 17 18, games. Yeah, 17 yeah. games, an extra game. It's yeah, right. Yeah. A.J. Hoffman, get off my lawn. Yeah, I just yeah. don't like it. Yeah, it's like that. You know, 61's not the home run total. It was 154 yep. games. and. Yeah. Short porch. <laughs> Let's see. Justin Jefferson needs 194 yards to break the single season receiving record. Does see, he get see, it? see, now, like, it's one thing to be throwing the ball. It's another thing to be catching and getting whomped on. The Vikings have a playoff game. They're probably going to have to play. The, they are going to have to play the next week. Let's, um, let's stop chasing you know, with our best player on the field and, and get him hit all over the field out of bounds. Yeah, so no Justin Jefferson. Single no. season receiving record. No. Man, Calvin Johnson, 1,964 yards, the single season record. You know, it's interesting. It's insane. It's all, it's all relative. Like, I'll give an example. Like, if suddenly, what's the movie that's out? Avatar? If one of these Avatar guys suddenly joined the NBA, you'd realize what terrible athletes all the NBA athletes are. It's just, it's all relative that they're great athletes compared to you and me mm-hmm. and AJ, especially me. But you see where I'm going, you know. It's like why, why, like, like when we put things in perspective, like if if, if in the hundred, if Usain Bolt was like, che- you know, racing against a uh, cheetah or even what's a fairly fast animal? A, a cheetah. <laughs> That's a very fast animal. Yeah. What's like a, a rhino? Okay. <laughs> I think the rhino, I think, you know what, that's interesting. Could the rhino get up to speed that fast? Probably. A coyote, know. I'll say. I'm, I'm confident a coyote would win comfortably in a race against an Usain Bolt. Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, you have, uh, you're going to be placing a, a bet on the national championship game, college football, I, next Monday? You know, I'm, I wanted to ask you guys about this because I'm looking at this right now, the square side. Uh, the over. I think the. I know both semis went over, so I better bet this sooner rather than later because money will probably come on the over. My only concern is. Come Super Bowls, you know, teams are rusty. They're they're careful and conservative. But a lot of that, there's usually the two there's the two weeks before the game. And now that we're wheeling back quickly, I don't think that'll be as much of a concern. I will say this: if there was one theme from all the bowl games that I took away, it's the fact that the, this rustiness, this month off, sure seems like the first quarters were slow starting yes. in many yep. many of the bowl games. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I said when, and I, I was this is me pulling back the curtain on a handicap that I was completely wrong on. I said TCU is a a chunk play offense. They're going to have a hard time finding explosive plays against Michigan because Michigan doesn't give up explosive plays. Then, of course, Michigan went on to give up tons of explosives Mm -hmm. to to TCU. And on the other side, the reason my my biggest bet of the championship week was the Georgia uh, and Ohio State over, which cruised over. And I said the reason why – Georgia is susceptible to these chunk plays. You can't mm. grind against Georgia. You can't if you're trying to like smash your five guys against their five guys and you think your little running back's going to get any yard, that ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if you're try if you can make big splash plays over the top, you can take advantage of them. To me, the over is the right move here. TCU's going to have some offensive success against Georgia. So, here's what I, I don't know that they'll ever get a stop, yeah, but see, they'll get some offensive success. Here's what I was thinking. Fez, you mentioned it. The, the The first quarters have been very slow in these bowl games because you're right. Teams um, a whole month off, they start out rusty. I expect it to be the exact opposite here in the national championship game because these teams are coming off very good offensive performances, especially late in the game mm-hmm. last week. First quarter over thirteen and a half. I think we're at worst going to be seven seven. I think it could be fourteen nothing Georgia. 
you know, Georgia scoring on their first two possessions. I think it could be 14-7 the end of the first quarter. You know, it's interesting because if it's 14-7, I'd say irrelevant. I win every over catches, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right? If it's 7-7, I'm well on my way to winning the over. So, again, I'm, comfor- I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to win my over on my game. But you bring up a great point. What if it's 14-0 Georgia? And then I'm like, uh-oh, there's the danger that yeah. 35 to, to 6 at halftime and then Georgia starts running the ball and we just don't get there because it's a blowout. So that's a good point. Like I think it's very easy to see because think about think about it this way. Georgia wins the toss. AJ, what happens? Georgia defers, correct? Yeah. TCU wins the toss. TCU wants the ball, right? Have they hit? Do you have the historical? I would how how, how TCU. I would imagine both teams would defer. You think both teams? You think TCU wants to give Georgia a chance to go up seven nothing? I don't think so. You're you're approaching this wrong. You have to look at the past history because there's some teams that always take the ball when they win the coin. Like every NFL team takes the ball when they win the coin toss, except for the Bengals on Monday night, curiously won the coin toss and took the ball. That's a complete aberration. But in college, some teams take the ball, some teams defer. And the wrong way to think of it is to, is to guess and say, oh, well, I think TCU, this is their mindset and this is how they do. And meanwhile, and this goes back to specialization, someone is probably listening to us right now and say, these guys are complete and utter dumbos. I follow TCU all year long, and they always defer or they always you know, take the ball. Mm-hmm. And remember, these teams have had success. They're in the national championship game. They're not going to deviate from what they've done. They're going to dance with who they got them. Now, some teams do defer some of the time. And they take the ball some of the time. Those are the ones that are much more difficult to forecast who gets the ball. If you know who gets the ball, well, now we can bet that team to score first. We can bet them in the first quarter. We can bet the other team to get to, to, to cover the third quarter. There's a lot of good bets to be made it looks if like, you have that information. It, it, it looks like TCU's a defer. That's what it looks like. How can you tell? Well, they won the toss against Michigan and deferred. There you and go. One, and which website gives you that information? Or is it actually? Oh, I'm just looking at the game logs. The game log for ESPN? or. I'm just looking at I'm just looking at the game for the uh, the Fiesta Bowl here the Fiesta Bowl recap. I'm saying TCU won the toss and deferred. Oh, to I Michigan. see. Actually, so, so yeah. Now, so TCU deferred. They deferred to Michigan in the uh, and then and they and they had a very fine game against Michigan. So TCU is probably going to defer, and I think Georgia does defer. I would l- look at what happened in the Big Twelve championship because I if it if they do a certain thing in big games mm-hmm. that's a, that tells me enough. They're not going to change. They're not going to change things up. You know, at this point. Now pulling back the curtain. The one thing you can take advantage is you can try to pass post the coin toss because this is such a big game and the books are making money hand over fist booking the action that if you're actually watching it um, live and here comes the coin toss, Georgia wins. They say, we're going to defer. Okay. Now, you know, TCU gets the ball, slow moving books. I'd be very shocked if you couldn't get in a prop on who's going to score first for like, if you can pop it in within 20 or seconds. A, a first quarter wager. Or, like or bet Georgia third quarter. You get the idea. Now, yeah. one thing I will say. Speaking for the pros, it sounds insane, but I would much rather lay an extra 60 cents of VIG and play like a money line. If a game was pick I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how, how about what the first quarter line is. I would much rather lay minus 160 than lay minus a half at even money. because TCU teams... won the coin toss and deferred to Kansas State. There you go. There, there's your answer. There's your answer. In the two biggest games of the season, they deferred. And we think George is likely to defer. But we don't, but, but, George is perfectly fine to have their defense on the but field. But we want to go back and, and, and verify that. It's just, we're just guessing. We need to actually verify that. to, to, to actually. But, but I think that Georgia does defer. But they, you, you see where I'm going. You see where we're, we're, we're making the sausage here. This is how pros actually bet things. They do this sort of research. And my friend, the eight of clubs, used to do this on every NFL team, like Sean Payton and the Saints would always take the ball. New England would always defer. So the Saints would be playing New England. It was a two-headed coin. And he would always bet 
every prop under the sun. He bet the Saints to score first, the Saints to punt first. Georgia, won, third Georgia won the coin toss and deferred to Ohio State. So we don't know. So let's try to pass post it. So as soon as we find out who gets the ball, let's bet them to uh, cover the first quarter. Whoever gets the ball first? You bet them the first. Okay. Well, some books, will, the sharp books will pull it off and not let you bet and say that game's that, that prop is off. And the mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the more the books that cater more to the casual. recreational casual bettors will probably let you bet. But if you make too many of those bets, they will casually ask you never to bet there again. And yes, that is one of the biggest problems for sports bettors. We talk about, oh, this is a clever way to win. This is a clever way to win until the book says, we don't want you anymore. Go bet somewhere else. <laughs> We like it. Fez, thank you so much for giving us a couple minutes. I know there's no Thursday night football to break down, but uh, a lot of insight on week 18 of the NFL season. And last thing, I know it's speculation, but you, you've heard the rumors out there about the possibility of them actually playing the Bills-Bengals uh, game and doing the whole week 19 with the AFC bye and then the AFC playoffs with the NFC bye. This actually. Where makes, do you stand on that? Th- this uh, I, this makes sense. I don't know how the scheduling is going to work out with the various arenas and what the availability is, but what would would certainly be viable is that they week nineteen, the first week of the playoffs, it's business as usual for the NFC. They play the wild card rounds, mm-hmm. but in the AFC, they don't play the wild card games. They just replay Bengals. Uh, bills. Yep. I mean, and then the week twenty, the NFC has everyone has the week off, and then the AFC plays, plays the, the wild, wild cards. Card that would be, and then we don't have a bye week before the Super Bowl. You know what? That is a very elegant solution where I could absolutely see the NFL moving forward with that. Probably better than my suggestion, where hey, the Bengals were. Like sixty three percent to beat the Bills. Why don't we just do a random number generator? And if it's one to sixty three, since he wins sixty four to one hundred, Buffalo wins. Well, I, I would also say you don't have to worry about the stadium because all these stadiums would be open for those dates anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, and you'd have some flexibility for um, you know for the scheduling because now you've got you've got, you've got Saturday and Sunday, and you've got three wild card games. Yeah. So you can just break it one on Saturday, two on Sunday. Excuse me, both weeks, and you're still playing the same number of games. Your revenue probably goes up because instead of, um, well, I guess no one watches the Pro Bowl anymore. Who cares? Not even. Right? It's just it's, it's a done, skills competition. The skills or whatever. competition. Yeah, flag football. Yes. Thanks, Fez. Thank you. The Pro Football Hall of Fame gave out their list yesterday. The 15 final. It was actually due out uh, Tuesday, but out of respect. To Hamlin, they yeah. said we're gonna we're going to postpone this a day. So they gave out the list yesterday. The 15 finalists from the modern era. Five of these guys will get gold jackets. And so they're gonna announce this when at the, uh, the NFL Honors yeah. show before the Super Bowl. I believe so. Okay. So here is the list of finalists: Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Rondé Barber, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Tory Holt, Andre Johnson, Albert Lewis. Darrell Rivas, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, and Darren Woodson. You know it's amazing, and I, I say this every year. And I used to talk about this with my dad when you know when we'd see like players up for the Hall of Fame, and you know he would say, "Oh, you know, you know, you're getting old when you know guys are going into the Hall of Fame of their respective sports, and you know you watch their whole careers. Like, yeah, you, know, you remember these guys yeah. as rookies, and like I'm looking at this list, and I'm thinking." Holy shit! I'm getting old. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I remember when these guys were drafted. There are Albert Lewis. Like I, I remember Albert Lewis. I don't think I saw like the best of Albert Lewis. No. And I, I, I mean, the rest of these guys, like 
I saw the entirety of their careers and like remember when they were drafted. Like in, I mean the the closest one to me, like ah, do I really remember when he was drafted? Is Darren Woodson from yeah, 1992? Correct. But Darren Woodson was such an impact guy for so long. Mm-hmm. It's like that's it, an easy one for me. Albert Lewis is the only one who I don't remember like his early career. Yeah. So it, you're right. We, I mean, a yes, we are getting old. <laughs> uh, but B, yeah, we, like this is a it's a strong group. Here's here's my thought. When I was looking at this list, I I think there's going to be a I, I think there's going to be a lot of Close voting. Mm-hmm. There's one guy. There's three guys to me. Okay. For, to me, there was one that it's like. Automatic. automatic. Let's get out of the way. Joe Thomas is the automatic. Joe Thomas is the <laughs> slam dunk automatic. He's like one of the three or four best players at his position that have ever played. Yeah. Uh, most of his. I, I'm a big Jonathan Ogden guy. Mm-hmm. I, I think most of their most of their careers overlapped. Maybe not most of, but a good chunk of their years over, overlapped. But those two guys were the best tackles in football for like twenty something years. I, Joe Thomas is the slam dunk slam home dunk. run. He's in. He's you, automatic. We did an exercise. We both took the printout and we circled, no discussion. No discussion. We circled our five, and yes, we both agree that Joe Thomas can get in ten Pro Bowls, uh, six time first team All Pro, two time second team All Pro. Uh, the, the accolades are just uh, are all over the place. Part of the NFL's two thousand tens All Decade team. Clearly a Hall of Famer. He's also a college football Hall of Famer. Yeah. So he's clearly uh, going to be a, a Hall of Famer. Here now the other the other four, I could see I, I could see us having so, a couple of them the same. I could see I us said, being totally different. I said I had three slam dunks. I want to hear your other two slam dunks, and I'll let you know if I've got them circled. Okay, Darrell Rivas to me is a slam dunk. He's circled. He is okay. circled, and he was tough for me because his his light shone brightest maybe of all these guys. But it just his time of elite wasn't. But to me, the, the definition of a Hall of Famer is: Were you at the time that you played considered one of the greatest players of your generation? And Darrell Rivas was okay. And the, the the interception numbers might not be there because teams didn't throw at him. Yeah, but this is a guy that changed the way that a team played defense. They nicknamed him Revis Island for a reason. It was because you can leave him on single coverage with a wide receiver and roll your coverage to the rest of the field. And that's the way the Jets did it. And that's why the Jets went to back-to-back AFC yeah. championship games. He was, he did win a Super Bowl, by the way, to Royal Revis in the later part of his career. Uh, and not with the Jets, obviously. But he's seven-time Pro Bowler, four-time uh, first-team All-Pro and a member of the NFL's 2010s all-decade team. To me, Darrell Rivas was a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Okay, so we're two for two so far. Yeah. Who's your third slam dunk? My third slam dunk. And, okay, let me just say this. Joe Thomas, slam dunk. Darrell Rivas, layup. Okay. Dwight Freeney, layup. I don't have Dwight Freeney on my list. Okay. The reason why— There's two better pass rushers on this on this list. Okay. Well, I might have one of those guys in there as well. Okay. So, Dwight, Fre- Dwight Freeney, to me— when he played, and majority of it, obviously, was the 10 years he spent with the Colts, yep. though. Okay. He was a four-time All-Pro. who was a seven-time Pro Bowler. He was the Sacks leader. He was a member of the 2000s All-Decade team. And to me, 
looking at this list and comparing him to the other guys, when he was in the league, Dwight Freeney was the most feared pass rusher or one of the most feared pass rushers in the NFL. Here's and here's what else. And I have two pass rushers circled on this list that aren't Dwight Freeney. I have one more. I had Jer- on Jared Allen and Demarcus Ware both circled. So I have Demarcus Ware. I don't have Jared Allen. Jared Allen and DeMarcus Ware both play like their careers were two years shorter than Dwight Freeney's uh-huh. and both of them put up more sacks in their careers than Dwight Freeney did. I, it, it just feels to me like pass rushers are one of those things that they have a, a sack, a sack, a stat that is so measurable and so like it's one sack or one stat that's so tied to that position that it's really easy to rank these guys. Mm-hmm. And when you played fewer years and had more sacks, that tells me you were a more impactful player. I'm just, you know, when the NFL does these all-decade teams and you, a lot of the times you see Hall of Famers on this list, and Dwight Freeney made one of these teams voted on by the football sure. writers. Dwight Freeney played for the Indianapolis Colts when Peyton Manning was That's there. That's true. Jared That's Allen was not on this list. Yeah, and... Like if you if you want to contribute wins to a defensive end, then Dwight Freeney had a more successful career the NFL, than the, Jared Allen or Demarcus Ware. The NFL's all-decade 2000s team, the Pat defensive ends, Michael Strahan in the Hall of Fame, Jason Taylor in the Hall of Fame. By the way, this is uh, Michael Strahan was the first team. Jason Taylor was second team. Dwight Freeney, first team. Is this just like a ten-year, a decade team? This is the NFL's two thousands all decade. Okay, two thousand to two thousand ten. Michael Strahan and Dwight Freeney, first team. Jason Taylor, Julius Peppers, second team. Peppers won't be eligible for the Hall of Fame until next year. Jason Taylor already in the Hall of Fame. Michael Strahan already in the Hall of Fame. Every other player on the first team defense besides Dwight Freeney is in the Hall of Fame. Strahan, Sapp, Richard Seymour, Derek Brooks, Ray Lewis, Erlacher, Champ Bailey, Charles Woodson, Brian Dawkins, and Ed Reed. Every member of the first team of the all-decade 2000s team and every member of the offense except for Tom Brady, who's active, and Lorenzo Neal at fullback. So we're talking about every player on the team except for Dwight Freeney, who's on the ballot now, Tom Brady, who's active, and Lorenzo Neal, who's not in the Hall. And, and and I would say the reason why Jared Allen and Demarcus were at a disadvantage when it comes to those all-decade teams is they they straggle decades, they straddled yeah. the two decades. Sure. Like they both came in in the mid two thousands. But Demarcus Ware is on the all two thousand tens team. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that is that's an interesting thing. Is he? I, is he? I, I don't see. think he is. No, it's uh, J.J. Watt, Julius Peppers, Cam Jordan, Clay Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. yeah, so no, he's not. So, but I think that's more about how, like, where their careers lined up. Mm-hmm. And also remember, linebackers get on this list too. So, like, Von Miller's listed as a linebacker. And on just the so you know, team. just so you know, the voters that vote on these all-decade teams, members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection committee. Yes. So, you're. I'm not saying that you're wrong. If they were like, if they were pick, if I'm saying who do I think gets picked, mm-hmm. I could I could see Dwight Freeney getting in, and I really think the team that he played for will have a big role in that. Sure, but I think Jared Allen and Demarcus Ware. Come on, don't you want to see Peyton Manning on the podium? In, in, do you in, think he inducts him? I don't. No, he, I, I bet it's Dungy. Ooh, good call. Yeah, 
Yeah. Plus, like Dwight, the Dwight Freeney spin move was like one of the, you know, it was like one what of about Jared things. Allen like doing the uh, the rodeo thing? Come on. <laughs> All right. So we, we both agree on uh, Demarcus Ware as well. Yes. Right? So right now we have three that we agree on in Thomas Revis and Demarcus Ware. Yep. And then Freeney, I have, and you have Jared Allen. So those are disagreements. Who's your fifth? This was tough. This was very tough for me. I it was between two safeties. It was between Darren Woodson and Rondé Barber. And I went Rondé Barber. Okay. My my two finalists for my last spot, and this was my fifth selection, mm-hmm. was between Darren Woodson and Reggie Wayne. And I went with Reggie Wayne. You see, to me... Darren Woodson, always a bridesmaid. I know. Same thing with Reggie <laughs> Wayne, though. Reggie Wayne hasn't gotten in the past four years. I know. Same thing with Torrey Holt. Torrey Holt hasn't gotten in the past couple I don't years. think Torrey Holt's going to get in. Neither do I. I, I think Torrey Holt was the, essentially the second option on his team. It's unfortunate that he played in an era where he was on the same team as Isaac Bruce, and that, that's just kind of the way it went. But I think until some of uh, until some of those guys start to break through and get in, mm-hmm. you don't see guys like Andre Johnson get in. Uh, and also taken oh, – But DeMarcus Ware, excuse me, was on the second team – NFL all 2000s team. Okay, yes. so they did have a second team. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that eventually they've got to start. They they probably realize they've got to start putting receivers in at some point. Mm-hmm. Reggie Wayne just seems like the easy answer to be the first one to go in and op- sort of open things up again. Mm. Here's the thing. Reggie Wayne played from, what's his years? 2001 to 2014. During his time... In the league, in that span, let's just go with his first, the first decade. Okay, was he better? Did he have better accolades than Tory Holt? No, he's not better than Terrell Owens. Yeah, he's not better than Marvin Harrison. He's not better than Randy Moss. Like, how far down the list do we have to go? As far as was he one of the top receivers of his time? Like, there's, I'm sure there's more players that I'm just I'm just naming guys just the, the top four, in my opinion, top five, in my opinion, of his time. I just don't know if Reggie Wayne, as great as he was, you talk about Dwight Freeney played with Peyton Manning. Like, yeah, Reggie Wayne played yeah. with oh, Peyton no Manning. Oh, no doubt. And I don't know if Reggie Wayne was one of the greatest re- receivers of his decade. Might have compiled the stats. And that's the thing. These guys are some of these guys are stat compilers. We talk about it in baseball all the time when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Are you a stat compiler? Reggie Wayne made the All-Pro team once. Yeah. He was a two-time second-team All-Pro. What does that tell you? Not a knock on Reggie Wayne. Just means that there were players better than him at the time he played. I can't put Reggie Wayne in the Hall of Fame. For Reggie Wayne is one of these guys. He's almost, and I'm not saying this is a good thing. He's like a Craig Biggio. He's a guy who had a long, consistently very good career. Yeah, sure. Like I said, we call them compilers. But to me, the mark of a Hall of Famer is when you played, were you one of the greatest players in the league? Were you one of the greatest players of your generation? To see a guy that was only a first-team All-Pro one time, and that was in 2010, that tells me that in the years 2001, 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 11, 12, 13, 14, he wasn't among the best wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah. And how could you be a Hall of Famer? It's a good question. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe I have to reconsider this. What do you think about Rondé Barber? You don't think Rondé Barber's a Hall of Famer? I wouldn't put Rondé Barber in before Darren Woodson. 
Damn. I mean, Darren Woodson played for the Cowboys when the Cowboys were America's team. Like, don't you think Rondé Barber was part of the Tampa Two Revolution in the in the NFL? Sure, that won one Super Bowl, and then I mean, okay. I I just think that I mean, a five time All Pro. Yeah, and it's tough because Darren Woodson. I mean, do you do you give him an extra bump because he played for the Cowboys? That doesn't necessarily seem fair either. So I, I don't give know. Give him a bump because you're related to Charles. <laughs> the some some future uh, the guys that will be eligible for the first time next year. So when these guys fall off, like five of these are gonna are, are gonna make it. Obviously, it, it looks like next year's list may not have as many slam dunk guys. Julius Peppers will be a slam dunk. Antonio Gates is eligible next year. I think he's a slam dunk. Eric Berry is eligible next year. He feels close to a slam dunk, maybe a layup. Mm, I don't know. Haloti Nada, Jamal Charles, Brandon Marshall. I mean, that's probably the, if you were saying pick the the next three guys, that's that's probably them. So a lot of these guys who don't make it this year will probably make it next year. Like the, the, this, there's... The next next crop isn't as strong as this year's crop, so I feel like there's going to be some some room for some guys to make it next year. Uh, but I, I I don't know. I think the three that we agree on, I'm I'm pretty certain about. I feel strongly about Jared Allen. Uh, there's a couple guys on the list that I know, like Devin Hester's not going to make it. No, even though. Is the most most kick returns of all time. Well, not anymore, right? Um, because didn't uh, what's his face just break his kick return yeah, record? And, and look, if you look at Dwight or Devin Hester's career return numbers, and then you look at Ted Ginn's career return numbers, they're pretty close. And yeah. Ted, no one's ever thought about Ted Ginn being in the Hall of Fame. It's it's crazy talk. So no, he's he's not a Hall of Famer. The guys who are going to be. Really interesting. Yeah, like Dante points. Hall was an amazing kick return. Oh, for sure. But yeah, Cordero Patterson just broke his uh, kick return for touchdown leader. Guys who are going to be interesting case studies are guys who didn't have, and when I say didn't have long careers, to me, like if you ha- if you have a ten year career, that's a long NFL career. I agree. Anything shorter than that is like, ooh, is that a ho-? like? And the one guy on this list that. Didn't play that long is Patrick Willis. I think Patrick Willis was phenomenal. I think Patrick Willis is one of these guys like Barry Sanders who walked away in his prime. Mm-hmm. And those guys are per- particularly difficult to judge for me because I have no doubt in my mind that if Patrick Willis played three more years, it, all it would have done is add to his Hall of Fame resume. Yeah. Five-time first-team All-Pro. A second team All Pro, seven time Pro Bowler, Defensive Rookie of the Year, two time led the league in tackles, member of the 2010s All Decade team. Yeah, I sound like the announcer in Canton. <laughs> <laughs> so I I don't know. This is uh, College Football Hall of Famer. I think this is always a a good discussion. I think it always, it, it, if anything, it takes you down memory lane and and makes you remember some of these guys, which is always fun to do. Like go back and be like, oh yeah, this guy was this guy was huge. Um, that that's always fun for me, but then there's always the, you've got your guys that you don't want to see get snubbed and you've got guys that probably played for your favorite team that you're like, Oh, he's gotta be all, he's gotta be. 
And that's where like emotions can kind of uh, can kind of blind you, I think, in some ways. And that, that's what I always anytime you have these conversations, I was like, man, I wonder if he if that's if he really believes that this guy is that great or he is a fan of the guy. Mm-hmm. And it, you understand it both ways. But I do think there's a difference. As we get closer and closer to the national championship game, the college football playoff national championship game, it's going to be on Monday night. So obviously Monday morning show will do a full breakdown extensive uh, of that game, preview. extensive preview of that game, especially with no Monday night football in the NFL. It's going to be all about the uh, college football playoff national championship game. But there was a massive bet. In fact, multiple massive bets placed on this game. And they come from no other than Mattress Mac, what is it, McIngvale? Jim McIngvale. McIngvale. Yeah. Jim Mattress Mac McIngvale has placed over $3 million in bets on TCU. Of course he bets on the Texas team. Of course. I want you to know I've got a call in. We're trying – we haven't had a – like a – a non pregame guest on this show. Yet. We have like, not. We've had RJ. We've had Fezzik. He he would be our first actual. Who's, who's he? Who? Jim Mac, Mattress Mac. Oh, you've reached out to I've Mattress reached, Mac. I'm reaching out to Mattress Mac. We're going to uh, see if we can get him on either uh, tomorrow or Monday. But I want very I mean, cool. I want to talk to him about this, and I think it's a it's good time. I want to see what's going through his mind, uh, and I really I want to kind of get into. Not just what, with what is on his mind, like when it comes to why he made this bet, but does he think TCU is going to win? When you are when you're watching a game like this, yeah, and you have three million dollars on the line, it has to be so different than the way you normally watch a football game. So th- listen to these bets. Like imagine your wife starts talking to you after Georgia scores yeah, a touchdown. Yeah. L- like, l- listen to these bets. Here we go. Two point one three million dollars on TCU money line. All right, he has one point five million at plus. 370 odds, 500,000 at plus 400, and 130,000 at plus 380. And he also did a million dollars on TCU plus 13. Okay. So at least he's got the plus 13 for a million. But so I guess that would kind of, if TCU covers and loses, he would only lose $130,000. But this is one of those other things. Because he'd win, you know, actually, no, because, yeah, because he'd get back. He wagered the one. He'd get back his two. He risked the two million on the yeah. money line. So he's kind of hedging his bet. Here. Sure, but um, but I mean, imagine you're making a, a million dollar bet on a side, and you didn't get the thirteen and a half that it opened at. <laughs> like I, I, you know, Fez would. Call I'd be that? I'd be sick over. Fez it. would call this a Dumbo bet. I would be sick to my stomach trying to bet that much and knowing that I didn't get the best number. It's very difficult. So I, those are the kind of thing I want to get into the mind of Mattress Mac. When it comes to making these bets, so I mean, I mean he, listen, he's he, cash flush right now. He won seventy five yeah. million on the Astros. He's doing okay, I think. Uh, seventy five million. This is play money now. It seems like if you if I, if you had seventy five dollars, and I asked you to take two singles and rip them up right now, you'd be like, I don't want to do it, but like, I guess so. I got okay. seventy three dollars left in my pocket. Yeah. He's got seventy five million. And he just threw, he just ripped up two million betting on TCU money line. Well, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't see it that way, but man, this is. Uh, but these are the things that I want to ask him about it because it's certainly. Listen, no matter how much money you have, you start betting seven figures on anything. That's that's got to be a, a level of thrill 
or a, a, a level of emotion, let's just say that. I don't know if it's thrill or terror or what that goes through your mind when you do that. But no matter how much money you have, you bet a million dollars on anything and you feel it. Like you're, you're, you're sweating it. I can't imagine. So I don't, I have no idea. Um, I mean, 13, is this the, is the, this is the largest underdog in college football playoff championship history. Yep. But I'm thinking about like going back into just maybe BCS national championship games or even before that, like was there, was, was there a bigger underdog in a championship game than, than 13? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so either. I, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, the fact, like, think about if if Cincinnati had made it to the championship last year, I guess they would have had to, they would have had to play Georgia. They wouldn't have played Alabama because Alabama played them the first time. But if Georgia played Cincinnati last year, what would the line have been? More I, than this? Yeah, I think it would have been more than this. Yeah. So this is, it is, uh, it's unprecedented. Wow, that's that that's absolutely wild. Um, so. Congratulations on the $75 million win on the uh, on the Astros. Sorry about your $2 million loss on the TCU Horned Frogs. Uh, uh, what's the payout on that, on that money line? Well, if he has a hundred, if he has a million dollars on, well, what did I say his odds were? The, the biggest bet, I guess, was the $1.5 million at plus 370 odds. So let's just say if you, you know, you bet fifteen dollars. Uh, it's uh, it would be over five million dollars. Damn. No, it would be fifty-five million dollars. Right. Just imagine. I mean, just imagine he wins this. No, it'd be five million dollars. I'm an idiot. Uh, this is like uh, that's that's an insane amount to think about winning. So this is uh, again, it's something that I can't put myself in those shoes. So that's no why one can. that's why I want to talk to Mac about it to see like what what he's feeling. Yeah, five point five five million. By the way, the uh, the biggest national championship line to date. Mm-hmm. Give me the teams. I'll give you the line. Okay, uh, I'll give you. There's or give me the year. Come let's let's play a little. Let's play a game. Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to give you the top three. Top three. This is and this goes BCS. I guess uh, this is since 1998. So since, yeah, since going back to BCS. All right, go ahead. So I'm going to start with the – I'm going to work my way up to the, the biggest spread. Right, turning uh, my computer around so I'm not cheating. Okay. 2000 oh, – actually, there's a tie. 2000, the Florida State-Oklahoma game. Florida State-Oklahoma. Florida State won that game. No. No, oh, Florida State was the nineteen. What? Uh, they well, they won in nine. They won nine. Uh, they were they won in ninety nine. Lost in the two sandwich years, ninety eight and two thousand. Okay, 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 okay. So two thousand, Florida State was minus ten. See, for me, like it's the years always get screwed up because this is the yeah. It's the the ninety nine season is the two thousand bowl yep. game. The two thousand, you know, so whatever. So okay, so Florida State lost to Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I'm gonna say ten and a half. They were 10. 10 point favorite. Oklahoma okay. yep. was ten. That or no, Florida State was ten. Oklahoma won the game thirteen to two. What a weird score! Yeah, weird score. Uh, the other ten point spread was, was Chris Winky still. Yeah, jeez. Twenty twelve, Alabama ten point favorite over Notre Dame. They won that game. Oh. That's a Manti Teo. Yeah, Bama blew them out. Forty two to fourteen. Yeah, was Bama double digit favorite? Minus yeah. ten. Yeah, there was a minus eleven. Two thousand two, 
the Miami Hurricanes greatest team of all time against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State won Maurice Claret. That's the pass interference. Yeah. Uh, call that went against Miami 31 24. Was that the game McGahee got hurt? Yeah. Yeah, right? It was McGahee, right? Yeah, got, Willis yeah. McGahee. Yeah. That was so, Maurice. What, what the hell happened to Maurice Claret? Remember that yeah, guy? Yeah, stunk. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Miami was 12 and a half point. Miami fans. was 11. 11, yeah. The biggest point spread in championship game history 2013, Florida State versus Auburn. What'd you say? What year? 2013. Yeah, Jameis Winston. Yep. And Florida State against Auburn. Yep. It's big. It was bigger than 13 and a half. No, it was bigger than 11. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it definitely wasn't. So this is the largest. This is the largest. Yeah. Uh, if it was bigger than, I'll say 12, 12 and a half point. Favorites. It was 12. Florida State minus 12. They won the game 34 31. So 13 and a half by a point and a half by a pretty good distance. The biggest spread in championship game history. And and of those large spreads, only one covered. Only one of them covered, which was Alabama. Alabama covered. And Man. two two lost outright. Okay, maybe you know, maybe he's on. Shit something. happens. <laughs> As they say, maybe shit happens. He's something. I mean, think about that. Think about you've got uh, you've got a, a an Ohio, or a, a Miami minus eleven ticket. Yeah, you're not worried about them losing the game. But through a, a series of events, circumstances, and legs there's break, no, there's no flags fly. There's no chance that you remember the Ohio State quarterback name. Uh, from the 2000, was it Krenzel? Yeah, Craig Krenzel. Krenzel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I, mean, I mean, that Miami team had Willis McGahee. Andre Johnson, Kellen Winslow, Jonathan Vilma, DJ Williams, William Joseph, Jerome McDougal, Antro Roll, Kelly Jennings, Roscoe Parrish, Sean Taylor, and of if, course the quarterback Ken Dorsey. If I'm not mistaken, Frank Gore was like the third or fourth string running back on that team. Yeah, because it was McGahee, Portis, Najee and, Davenport, yeah. and, and, and Frank Gore. And then it was like Walter Payton's kid was like the the water boy and ended up he ended up being in the NFL for a minute. Jarrett Payton. Jarrett Payton, yeah. Yes. I mean Absolutely. Th- what a loaded, loaded team. But to think they lost that game. I mean, so crazier things have happened. And by point spread, uh, you know, maybe this would be the craziest. But that's certain I mean, at the time, if you remember I, I don't know how old how old you were when that happened. What what year? Uh, the the Miami one, so two thousand two. Two thousand two. I would graduated high school. So I was old enough to have a pretty good wager on that game that I lost. I might have had some, and I felt it. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, I can't believe this. This is impossible to me. I, I remember that was the same around. And this is the thing about working on. I worked offshore on an oil rig at the time, and when you work out there, there's nothing to do but gamble, and we would like. It was uncomfortable amounts of money being wagered, but you work for four weeks, and then you've got two weeks where you can do nothing, but you can't spend any money in those four weeks, so, like, what are you going to do? Like, you're, you're, There's nowhere to spend money, so you just gamble. Mm. Uh, I won significant money that year on a race car driver named Ryan Newman. Yeah, we know Ryan Newman. I didn't know anything about NASCAR, <laughs> but there was a draft where you paid a certain, like you bid. How much do you want to bid on this driver for the season? And at the time, it was like Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt, and the guys were paying like five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars, and you got paid out for every race that they won. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I got Ryan Newman for like 400 bucks. That was all like, that's all I was comfortable doing. I, he was the only driver I got and he won like 10 races that year. And all these guys were so these legit NASCAR fans yeah. livid at me because I had no idea what I was doing. I just got lucky. But my biggest bet that year was on Vitaly Klitschko mm. against Lennox Lewis for the title. And he was, he was winning the fight and then he got cut. And he, uh, he lost the fight to a cut. And it was probably the most painful loss of my betting career was on that oil rig. But Howie's the younger one, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it was, it was Vladimir. It was the older one. It, it was, was the older one. It was yeah, Vladimir. Yeah, yeah. I got that mixed up. But yeah. No, I think Vitaly is the older one, isn't he? Is Vitaly the older one? I believe I he is. Well, Vladimir's the better one. I don't know. I, I, Vitaly's the older one. Uh, so he's the one. Yeah, he's the one I was betting on. He's the one who lo- "Quote unquote lost," and Vitaly's the one that's now uh, like uh, the, the mayor. mayor of Kiev. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wild. Yeah, it's pretty insane. But he's he still lost me a lot of money by because he's a bleeder. The Major League Baseball offseason has been quiet after, I guess, the Carlos Correa stuff, which, by the way, is still not resolved. Like the Mets are still trying to figure out like there's something with this medical, and it's it's just a bizarre situation with Carlos Correa. Anyway, uh, the Red Sox made a move. They have locked up third baseman Rafael Devers, 11 years, $331 million. It keeps him from reaching free agency this year, and it's the longest and largest guarantee ever given out by the Boston Red Sox. It's funny because I, it felt like the Red Sox were getting in the business of not having these long-term mega contracts. Well, they didn't sign Xander Bogarts, and they traded away Mookie Betts a couple years ago. Yeah, so this is an odd turn of events. Maybe they realize the way to be competitive is to to keep these great players because the Red Sox have kind of fallen out of relevance the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's it, – it's it, listen, he's the face of their franchise now. They had to lock him up. They could not run the risk of losing him. They, Like I said, they already traded away bets. They lost Xander Bogarts uh, to just, you know, he got outbid for uh, whatnot. They had to lock up Devers, made sure they kept this guy in Boston. So uh, that's the latest move. You look at the um, – The contracts here in Red Sox history, the largest contract prior to this was David Price. Seven years, $217 million. Pretty big gap. 11 years, 331. Manny Ramirez got eight years, $160 million in 2000. That was a lot of money in 2000. No doubt. If that Manny Ramirez was up for free agency now in 2022, 2023, what would he get? 35? You mean like three hundred something? Like, Thirty-five uh, a year. I yeah, think. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, thirty-five a year. Like it's it'd be some ridiculous number. And then when he fails all the steroid tests, it would be a complete waste back. of money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Red Sox had a, a a bad off season, losing Bogarts. Nathan Yavaldi left the team as well, um, but they did get Japanese outfielder Matasaka or Masataka Yoshida, five years, ninety million dollars. They did bring in Kenley Jansen as well. So now you lock in Raphael Devers. Red Sox will look to uh, compete in the American League East this coming year. Big story in the NBA from last night. The Chicago Bulls snapped the Nets' 12-game win streak. Oh, man, I they were never going to lose. 112, despite KD scoring 44 points. Uh, but the Bulls stopped the longest streak this season in the NBA. Uh, Zach Levine the star of the show in this one. And listen, the, the Bulls led by as many as 18, never trailed. So this was a, a, a an emphatic win 
for the Bulls. And listen, you know, it's not going to go forever. But if you said that KD was going to put up 44, I would have said that probably goes another day. (laughs) (laughs) Probably goes another day. Uh, DeRozan and Patrick Williams each had 22 points. Tonight, the Grizzlies are six-point favorites at Orlando. The Celtics, two-point favorites at the Mavericks. Luka Watch, once again, how many points is he going to put up? The Jazz, six-point favorites at the Rockets. And the Clippers, six-and-a-half-point dogs at the Nugs. Hockey yesterday, what a game we had between the United States and Canada. The World Junior Championship semifinals. Up in uh, Nova Scotia, they had a record crowd on hand, over 10,000 fans at the Scotiabank uh, uh, Center Arena, whatever it was there. Bunch of hosers? B- bunch of hosers. And this was, it, it really was an intense game. Uh, the United States scored a minute 19 into the game, and they had a 2 nothing lead in the first period. Oh, you're feeling good. You had plus one and a half. I had plus one and a half on the United States. I had a 2 nothing lead. If you told me any other team that I that you play against, I'm already counting that as a, as a win. But a 2 nothing lead against the best team in the world. Not enough. Not enough. As the Canadians got their first goal on the board, thanks to Connor Bedard in the first period. I don't want to claim to be a hop- hockey expert, but I did warn you that this could happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, we spent an hour talking about how badass this dude is. Like, here's what I'm going to do tonight. Yeah. I'm going to bet against that guy. Yeah. Like, like, no, no, you're doing it wrong. Well, he only scored one goal. So if you told me that, you know, if you told me the United States would have a 2-1 lead after the first period and Bedard would not score the rest of the game. I would feel good about it. I would have felt very good about it. And if you told me the U.S. outshot the Canadians, 45-37, would have felt good about it. If you told me the Canadians had more penalties and the U.S. had more power plays, I would have felt good about it. But here's what I wouldn't have felt good about. If you told me that, well, actually, no. If you told me before the game Trey Augustine made 31 saves, I would have said, yeah, it's exactly what I thought. But if you told me that the Canadian netminder, Thomas Millich, had 43 saves, I would have said shit. Yeah. He was I like to call him Tom. He's good. He played the game, he played his best game of the tournament. And every time the US had chances, he stopped them. Got lucky a couple of times. A couple of bounces of the puck did not go the United States' way. But the difference in the game was the Canadians capitalized on every opportunity and the US didn't. What I mean by that is USA had a big power play at the beginning of the second period, didn't convert on chances. USA had a couple of uh, odd man rushes, didn't convert on chances. Meanwhile, the U.S. would give away the puck at the blue line, Canada would score. It's like they capitalized on every chance, and that's what happens when you have world-class players. And I'm not saying the U.S. doesn't. It's going to be—and I don't—this is the problem now. The U.S. is going to have to play the uh, bronze medal game against Sweden coming up on—I guess it's tomorrow. I don't know the mindset. You could say, hey, let's just let's let's get out there and let's play hard and let's win a a bronze medal, which is a great showing for this tournament, right? What but what this, medal do you get for fourth place? Nothing. I'd much rather get the bronze then. Exactly. But it's also all the emotion of playing against Canada. And now it's kind of like the RJ Bell Dream Crusher scenario, right? Now your dreams have been taken away from you. Still a bronze medal would be a nice finish. And uh, the Czech Republic. Czechia, as they're referred to now, will play Canada 
for the gold medal. The Canadians looking to uh, become back-to-back champions. I think the first team to win back-to-back in quite some time here at the World Juniors. So, And Connor Bedard will lock up the number one overall. Man, what an upset it would be if uh, Czechia wins this game. It would be crazy. It would be crazy, but Canada. It's like, it's, it's like a miracle on ice reference from the 1980 U.S. hockey team. They beat the Soviets in the semifinals, and then they're losing in the gold medal match to Finland. And Herb Brooks goes into the locker room, and he says, you lose this game, you're going to take it to your graves. And then he stops, and he turns around, and he says, you're fucking graves. <laughs> and that's true. I like it. So for the Canadians, you beat the U.S. in the semifinals, don't lose to Czechia in the gold medal match. Heavy slate of hockey on the ice tonight in the NHL. You got the Carolina Hurricanes fresh off their loss to the New York Rangers. Yes, snapping their winning streak at 11. They will try to pick themselves up off the deck on home ice, taking on the Predators. Carolina minus 225, total of six. Speaking of those Rangers riding the high right now, they're minus 210 favorites up in Canada, A, against the Canadiens, a total of six in that game. The Devils, fresh off a 5-1 route of the Red Wings last night, will be home to take on the Blues. New Jersey minus 170, total of six and a half. How about this game tonight here in Vegas? The Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby and Co. Fresh off the Winter Classic loss to the Boston Bruins at Fenway here in town to take on the Golden Knights. This game's a coin flip. You got minus 110 both ways. Where's your action? Total of six. You're going, aren't you? I'm going. I'll be in. You got to have some action there. Absolutely. I can't be at a game and not take it. Yeah, baby. Here's the thing. Can I bet against the Golden Knights and be with and and wear a Golden Knights jersey and be in attendance? Just keep it quiet. Or do I bet the over? Shoot for fun. I don't know about that, but if you've got a ticket against the Golden Knights, you keep it in your pocket and you, you don't talk about it. Yeah, when the Golden Knights score, I just high-five the people next yeah. to me and say, hey, good job. Real G's move in silence like lasagna. Here's the question. Here's the real question i got to ask. I don't know what that's from. Here's the real question i got to ask. What jersey do I wear tonight? You do have multiple options? Well, yeah. Well, there's only two. Okay. Only two options. Do I, A, go with the Golden Knights jersey? Okay. Do you have a name on the back? No name. Okay. No name. It's basic. Because the, the, you know, the thing is, like, I would like to get a name, but it's like the players come Player and go. movement. This jersey will last me forever. It's true. There's no name on the back. Plus, like, I wear a hoodie whenever mm-hmm. I go to games, so the hoodie over you know covers the, the name. But it would have a number. Yeah, it would have a number. People would know who it is. All right. I could go with a Golden Knights jersey. Okay. It's basic. Or in the spirit, and I think last night's result kind of made, you know, talked me out of it. But I was going to say, in the spirit of the World Juniors, I wear my Mighty Ducks 2 Team USA Charlie Conway 96 jersey. Mm. It says Hendricks all over the arm. Hendricks hockey. I'd go with the Golden Knights. Yeah. Now, if USA would have beat Canada last then night, I wear the USA yeah. jersey. Yeah. Especially because my sister-in-law is from Canada. Ooh, gross. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd like rub it in her face. Sorry. Yeah. Does she smell like syrup? No, she's from Montreal. Oh. Not God. Toronto. <laughs> uh, let might play the over Vegas night, Vegas and uh, Penguins. Got to see the goaltender matchup as well, especially. Ooh, this is you know 
Tristan Jari did leave the game in the Winter Classic with an injury, so we might get Casey DeSmith tonight for the Penguins, so we'll keep an eye on that. And the Knights activated Jack Eichel. That could mean more scoring. Uh-oh. Could mean more scoring. Or how do you bet against Eichel now, you know? Yeah, how do you bet against Eichel? You'd, you'd be a fool. You would be. You'd be a fool. You'd be a fool to bet against him. Although Casey DeSmith, Logan Thompson, over six. He, he just missed a month. He's got 29 points. Oh, we go Eichel prop. Eichel goal prop. Think about this. 29 points. He's played in 27 games. He's third on the team in points, and he just missed a month. We go Eichel goal prop. He's scoring, baby. Let's see. Eichel, let's see if it's up right now. Goal scorers right now. Jack Eichel is, oh, maybe he's not listed because they don't know if he's playing or not. Oh, it's garbage. Yeah, I don't see him on here. It's garbage. garbage. It'll be re-released uh, by the time we, you know, a couple hours from now. But uh, Sidney Crosby is plus 165 to score a goal. He'll get nothing. And like it. And he will like it. Here's something you'll like. If me you to, or the listener? The listener. I'm talking to the listener now. It's just me well, and you the were, listener. You're in the room with me. Yeah, I just thought. I'm talking to the listener, though. Got it. Got it. If you go to pregame.com, listeners, and you would like to check out any package, a best bet from AJ, from myself, from Fezzik, McKenzie, Hitman, uh, give me some more. Uh, Dave Esler. Dave Esler, Uncle Dave. Yeah, plenty. Anybody you'd like, take 20% off. Use the promo code EARLY20. That's right. Early 20. You're here with us. It's early. It's early for us. It's early for you. If you're not five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. Is that the thing? Early 20 is the promo code. You get 20% off anything at pregame.com. And if you haven't done so already, sign up for pregame.com. You need to sign up and be a member in order to get all these promo codes. And by just signing up and being a new member, you get $25 free. So you get a free best bet. And you can get a free, you know, 20% off by using that promo code early 20. So go to pregame.com. too easy, honestly. It, it, it's, listen, it ain't my money. Go ahead. Go to the website. Spend the money. Get the discounts. Enjoy the winners. I tell you this. I'm going to have a prop player prop card for week 18 in the NFL season. I like it. That you're not going to want to miss. All right. For A.J. Hoffman, Mackenzie Rivers somewhere, Steve Fezzik, R.J. Bell. The whole crew. I'm Scott Seidenberg. We are straight out of Vegas. Hey, yeah.